In episode 511 with Colin O'Brady, we are talking about fear. We are talking about how to master your inner critic. We're getting clear with what really matters in life, plus so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, Comparisonitis, and Time Magic. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about this episode because Colin is an incredible human being and what he has achieved in his lifetime, oh my gosh, and what he has had to move through. The experience that he went through in his early 20s in Thailand, which radically changed his life, you guys are going to want to listen for this story alone. It's just incredible. But for those of you that have never heard of him, he is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer, speaker, entrepreneur, and expert on mindset, which we dive a lot into in this episode because I am all about mindset. I want to have the tools to move through these fears or these challenging times in my life. So he gives us some amazing tips. Now, some of his feats include the world's first solo unsupported and fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica. Guys, Antarctica. He did this by himself, carrying all of his belongings. Oh my gosh, this story is incredible. He also holds the speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slam and the Seven Summits. And he's the first human-powered ocean row across Drake Passage. His highly publicized expeditions have been followed by millions and his work has been featured by the New York Times, The Tonight Show, The Joe Rogan Experience, and The Today Show. And the story that he tells in this episode about telling the New York Times he was going to cross Antarctica and then the day that he got there, what happened to him? Guys, you have to listen to this. It is so good. He is also the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Impossible First, And now the 12-hour war. Invest one day, conquer your mind, and unlock your best life. He regularly speaks on mindset and high performance at Fortune 100 companies such as Nike, Google, and Amazon, and at top universities, including Harvard and Yale. And his TEDx talk has had nearly 3 million views, which I highly recommend going and watching. It is so inspiring. And the two stories that he tells in there about his mum and his partner, his now wife, are so inspiring. It just makes me want to hold those people that I love so much tighter. So for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, the TED Talk, the books, everything, you can check out at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 511. Now let's bring on the incredible Colin O'Brady. Colin, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? 
what I had for breakfast this morning? Um, I had uh, eggs, uh, yeah, eggs with toast before I went uh, out skiing in the mountains. Oh, beautiful. Where are you right now? I'm in my house in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, so people have heard of Yellowstone National Park or a place like that in the U.S. It's right nearby there. Oh, beautiful. Well, I'm on the other side and I'm in the middle of summer. Well, it just hit fall. So it's very hot here. There's no skiing here right now. I've spent uh, quite a bit of time in my life in Australia. I lived there on and off for a few years. So I know, know the country well. Yeah. What do you think? Beautiful. Yeah. I've uh, lived up in Noosa, spent a bunch of time in Sydney and Bondi. And I also did six months in Canberra, which maybe wasn't my favorite part of Australia, <laughs> but still had a great time there as well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, anytime you're back, you must let us know and we will definitely have you over. Sounds good. Now, I think you are incredibly inspiring. I think your story is inspiring. Can you take us back to your early 20s in Thailand and the night that you woke up in hospital? Tell us what happened and go back to that experience and share what that was like for you. Yeah. So, you know, I uh, graduated from university, didn't have a ton of money as a kid, but I always thought, you know, when I get out of school, I want to, you know, travel around the world, you know, see a bit of it. You know, it's fairly common for Australians, but it's not quite as common for Americans. But, you know, just on a shoestring budget, saved up a few thousand dollars painting houses when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, just basically 21 years old, set off into the world for a bit of an adventure. Um, you know, living in youth hostels, hitchhiking around, went to New Zealand, Australia, Fiji, um, actually met my now wife in Fiji. This was 15 years ago. But uh, so I guess that was a win right out of the gates. But unfortunately, I found myself in Thailand and uh, I made a, a foolish mistake, which is I, you know, being young and silly, I saw some guys jumping a flaming jump rope and I thought, you know, gee, that looks like a good idea. So I, I jumped that flaming jump rope and it tripped over it. A kerosene splattered my body and unfortunately lit my body basically on fire to my neck. Survival mode kind of kicked in where I needed it most. I jumped into the ocean to extinguish the flames, but not before, you know, about 25% of my body was severely burned, um, predominantly my legs and my feet. And I was in a remote part of Thailand. I was actually on an island off the coast of Thailand. So no, no proper medical facilities. Instead of an ambulance ride, I had a moped ride down a dirt path. So it was a, a pretty rough state. And the doctors, uh, I, I couldn't be moved. I only underwent eight surgeries in this kind of rural, you know, one room shack of a Thai hospital. Um, and the doctors told me in there, they said, you know, I hate to tell you this, Colin, but you will probably never walk again normally, um, which was obviously a, a terrible and, and tough diagnosis, uh, to say the least. Um, but uh, fortunately, there is, you know, somewhat of a heroine to the story, which is my incredible mother. Um, she, you know, she arrived in Thailand about four or five days into this ordeal and I was in a pretty dark, uh, place, my own sort of emotions, my own thoughts, you know, deep, deep inner battle with my own you know, sort of negative self-talk and mindset. Um, just kind of, you know, beating up on myself for making such a stupid mistake. And my mom, although she admits now she was crying in the hallways of this hospital, you know, you know, hoping for good news that she wasn't getting, she never showed me that fear. Instead, she came into my hospital room every single day with this huge smile on her face, this big air of positivity, kind of daring me to dream about the future. Um, and uh, I write about this in my most recent book called The 12-Hour Walk, this mindset. You know, I, I, I call it a, a possible mindset. And I, I define that as you know, an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. In this moment, my mom said, what do you want to do when you get out of here? You know, let's set a goal. And I was like, well, I'm not going to walk again normally. My life's never going to be the same. She goes, no, no, no. Dream without limits. Like if you could do anything when you get out of here, when you walk out of this hospital, you know, what do you want that to be? And she kind of walked me through this visualization exercise. 
And she sees me smiling with my eyes closed. Um, she says, what do you see? And I said, oh, it's going to sound ridiculous. I don't want to tell you. No, she said, tell me what it is. And I said, well, I see myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon one day. And I never raced triathlon before. I've been a swimmer in college, but uh, it was completely new to me. And I was like, but it sounds ridiculous. Look at my legs. She goes, no, 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 that's your goal. We're going to start working towards that. And she goes, in fact, you're going to start training right now. And she yells over to the Thai doctor and she goes, hey, uh, doc, doc, my, uh, my son, he's training for a triathlon. I've got these ridiculous pictures of me, you know, lifting 10 pound dumbbells in the hospital, even though I can't walk my, you know, waist is bandaged from the waist down saying, you know, one day I'm going to race a triathlon basically. And then, you know, kind of fast forward to the end of the story here. I, you know, finally go to the United States, get back home. I'm in a wheelchair, can't walk. My mom kind of literally teaches me how to walk one step at a time. And then 18 months later, I had moved to Chicago, kind of got my first job out of university and signed up for the Chicago triathlon to honor that. And like, it was a very long road to recovery, you know, one step at a time, could walk and then slowly jog and then eventually train for this triathlon. And I ended up racing um, the Chicago triathlon and not just finishing the race, but to my complete utter surprise, um, when I crossed the finish line, I had actually won the entire Chicago triathlon, you know, uh, placing first out of nearly 5,000 other participants. And I suppose the, at least for me, the, the moral of that story in large part is, is not, oh, and then I realized I'm just some superhuman athlete. Maybe pat myself on the back is quite opposite from that. I think it's something that all of us as humans, we can relate to. I'm sure anyone listening to this can relate to this. We have these inflection points in our life, these moments where we're down on ourselves, these dark moments, these limiting beliefs that hold us back. But what I realized in this moment, you know, that my mom certainly facilitated for me is what would have happened had my mom not forced me to look towards the future and set this measurable goal. You know, I now sit here humbly with 10 world records, you know, having used those legs to walk across continents and climb the tallest mountains in the world, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of that. But more than anything, it's coming from this moment of sort of rebirth in the face of adversity. You know, this, this, these challenging times can be incredibly valuable lessons if we can find the lessons in them. And ultimately, I think so much of that comes down to the reframe on that mindset. You know, is this an insurmountable obstacle or is this a, a huge opportunity for growth? I know, but when you're in it, when you're in it and it's dark and it's heavy, what's the first thing you reached for? Or how do you move through those really challenging times today? Like, what do you do? Talk us through step by step. Yeah. So, you know, obviously in this moment that I just described, I, I didn't have the sort of same wisdom that I suppose I have learned over time now. And so in that sense, I really leaned on my mother's love and guidance. But now, you know, 15 years on in the future and, and the, with the various things that I've done, you know, I can, I can recognize these moments myself, of course. You know, I, I've kind of come to think about life on the spectrum of one to 10. So in 2018, I was the first person to cross Antarctica solo, unsupported and human powered. So I walked for a thousand miles solo across Antarctica for 54 days, dragging a 375 pound sled with all my gear and supplies. And when I got to the finish line of that, you know, it was a big achievement for me. It was the first person in history to do this. Um, and I completed it. That was like a peak moment in my life, right? It was this 10. It was like the, the high of all highs. And I've dug of life the spectrum of one to 10s, you know, one being our lowest moments and 10 being our highest moments. But when I got to the other side of that Antarctic continent and experienced, you know, one of the most elated feelings of my entire life, I realized that our ones and our tens are connected, that I didn't get this 10 in spite of my ones. I got there because of my ones. 
Of course, it required being alone. It required being tired. It required getting, you know, freezing cold, you know, on, on my face. It required all this challenge and adversity, but my willingness to actually step outside of my comfort zone that far allowed me to experience this 10. And I think too often in life, I find people are kind of stuck, what I call in this zone of comfortable complacency, you know, this area between four and six. It's like, you got a job, you don't love it, you don't hate it, you go every day, it's just a five, 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 five. Or maybe you're in a relationship, it's not toxic, it's not abusive, you know, you're cohabitating, co-parenting, whatever. But it's just kind of like the same every day, just like five, 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 it's comfortable, it's convenient, et cetera. And what I realize is people get stuck in this place, I think, because we're so afraid of experiencing ones. We're so afraid of experiencing this adversity, this challenge, this downside that we hedge so hard against it. We just think like, good enough. Oh, this is good enough. Let me just stay here in my comfort zone, right? But what I realized, again, in this moment, and I've realized this many times throughout my life, is those ones and tens being connected, right? So now... When I experiencing these low moments to your question, how do I frame this? When I experiencing those ones, it's not like I want them, but when they come, I try to smile. I try to go, okay, this is tough. This is difficult. But you know what's amazing about this is this is actually opening up the doorway to the tens. This is opening up the doorway for the full pendulum swing of the entire tapestry of life's experience. And that's where I really try to ground myself in. When I set big goals, it's not just athletically in my personal life, professionally, um, with my family, with my wife, you know, et cetera. You know, it's in all facets of life. I think this really applies. And for me, that's been amazing. It's that celebration. It's that embracing of those ones, embracing of that stepping outside of the comfort zone for that that hyper growth and ultimately the the road towards deep fulfillment. Mm, I love that so much. A mantra that has really helped me in those one moments, those ones and those twos and those three moments is this too shall pass. And I love that you said you bring a smile to those ones. And I do too. And and I haven't always, like this is with lots of wisdom and lots of life experience that I've gotten to this place where I can smile, softly smile and remind myself that this too shall pass. Like this one moment is not here forever. Even though in the moment it feels like it could be here forever, you're like, oh, you know, it can feel heavy and it can feel dark and it can feel like it's going to be here forever but it's not. It never is. On the other side is that 10 moment. So that mantra has really helped me many times in my life. Yeah, that's been one that's been stuck with me for a long time as well. I, um, uh, and if you're familiar with a 10-day silent Vipassana meditation retreats? Yes. Yeah. Uh, my first one uh, about 12 years ago. And that mantra is a big part of that practice. You know, basically you go to this meditation center and sit for 10 days in silence and, you know, be awareness of the sensations of your body. And by doing that, you know, if you obviously sit there long enough, your back's going to start to hurt, your knee's going to start to hurt. But that mantra, this too shall pass, this too shall pass somatically in your body. And you realize you sit there, continue to sit there long enough you know, your back doesn't hurt anymore, the tension in your knees release and whatever. And it's a way to kind of in your own body with your own breath, your own kind of spirit, feel into that because it applies so broadly. And what I think is so valuable about the this too shall pass, which I think is often overlooked, is it's easy to say that in the hard moments, right? You know, you want to say it to yourself in the hard moments. And trust me, that's where I mostly use this mantra. But I always remind myself also in these 10 moments to remind yourself, this too shall pass also. 
this too shall pass. Like it's, it's a reminder that the, both the hot peak peaks and the low lows like that, that, that sort of wave, um, you know, that it's all temporary. It's all ephemeral. Absolutely. I really remember that when I'm with my daughter and I'm just in the present moment and she's just doing something so adorably cute. And I'm literally in my mind, like taking photographs, never want to forget this moment, never want to forget this moment. Like, etching this in my heart and soul, never want to forget this moment. And because I remind myself like this will pass, I will never get this moment with her again. So that mantra can work, like you said, for the tens and for the ones. And it's a really beautiful, simple, free tool that we can grab onto and use whenever we need to. Is there anything else that's really helped you in those times? I think that I'm sure you've talked about it a lot on your show, you know, that that positive self-talk. You know, I'm a I'm a firm believer that we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And, you know, we can tell ourselves the greatest story ever or we can beat up on ourselves. And for some reason, I think it's a part of the human experience. It's common to have a negative dialogue inside of our head or sort of that inner critic that can beat up on us. You know, I'll, I'll share I'll share one story. So I'm trying to complete this Antarctica crossing that I briefly mentioned. I get dropped off on the ice. I've got a thousand miles in front of me. And on the very first day, I've got 375 pounds. It's 160 kilograms in my sled behind me that I have to pull the whole time. So it's unsupported. No resupplies of food or fuel or anything along the way. So whatever I get dropped off on the edge of Antarctica, I've got to take with me to hopefully get to the other side and survive. And I've, you know, I've trained for this, you know, I've, I've told everyone, I did a bunch of big interviews at New York Times, you know, et cetera, you know, right before I am, hey, but I'm going to try to become the first person to complete this. And I get out there and I start trying to pull my sled on the first day and I can barely move it. Like I, I can move it like 10 feet at a time. And I'm embarrassed. I'm mortified. I'm afraid. I've set this massive goal and I can't even like, I, I can't move the first mile, let alone, you know, the, the thousand miles after that. And so I start crying. I literally start crying. But what happens when you start crying and it's minus, you know, 30 degrees outside? Well, the tears, they freeze to your face, which is like the all-time most uh, pathetic feeling, you know, on the planet. And I get on the phone. I actually have a satellite phone with me and I call home to my wife, who has also just been my, not just an incredible loving partner, but, you know, we've built all of our dreams together, all of these expeditions, sponsorships, business, et cetera. We've kind of been in the trenches together. Um, so she's really my rock. And I explained the situation to her. I said, I, you know, I don't, th- you know, I don't even think I can get, you know, survive a day out here. Um, this is a huge mistake. And we had called our project the impossible first. And I said, you know, I think we named the project right thing. This is definitely impossible. And she says to me, she goes, you know, how far are you away from the first waypoint? So I had a GPS with me and it kind of marked the waypoints along the way. And she knew the first one was pretty close to where I was getting dropped off. And I told her it's a half a mile from here. And she goes, do me a favor. I don't care how long it takes you. Just get to the first waypoint. There's hundreds of more waypoints along the way, but you'll feel like you made some incremental progress. Then set up your tent, get inside, get some sleep, and hopefully you can shake it off and tomorrow is a new day. And so I do that. It takes me forever to cross this half a mile. I'm feeling really defeated. I'm exhausted. I get inside my tent. And then... I wake up in my tent my first night alone in Antarctica. It's 24 hours of daylight, so I've got an eye mask on. The sun's directly overhead at all times of the year, you know, that time of year. And I wake up in that morning, and I joke around, and I say, who was in the tent with me? Um, and, of course, I was out there alone. That's what I was trying to do, is do this solo crossing. 
But what it felt like is I woke up and there was like five versions of me crammed inside of this tent looking back at me. And they were the worst versions of myself. It was like, Colin, you idiot. You're, you're never going to make this crossing. Colin, you suck. Colin, you're not strong enough. You told the New York Times you were going to make this crossing. You can't even survive a day, right? We're beating up on myself. And, you know, I think it's all too common. And I imagine folks listening to this can relate. Like, we are even the you know most successful people on the planet. If you ask them this question, I do have an inner critic inside. And people are like, yes, you know, you you have that that devil on your shoulder. And I say, going out to Antarctica alone for this long was you know like throwing a party, and both all my angels and all my demons were invited. Um, and I got to see those demons up close and personal. But as I said before, you know, I'm a firm believer in this idea that you know we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And in this moment, I was very aware that I was telling myself the absolute worst story possible about how stupid of an idea this was, and how horrible I was, and how weak I was, and how you know just all the negative things. And so I basically was grasping at straws to kind of cut through that mindset. But what I did in this moment was I actually got up, got out of my tent, stood up raised my arms outside and I started yelling out loud. And I started yelling, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. And I started saying, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. Just yelling this at the top of my lungs to just cut through the noise of my own inner dialogue. And I wish I could say, you know, I did that. And then the next thousand miles were so simple and easy. And that's, of course, not the case. But that's how I woke up every single morning. And every single time it got difficult, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. And, you know, day two, I went a little bit further, day three, a little bit further after that. And, you know, 54 days, I, you know, completed this crossing, like I said, but it was because of that calibration and this awareness. When those negative thoughts start creeping in, you get to decide the story you're telling yourself. You get to decide if you're planting seeds on fertile ground or if the roots that you're lying inside your brains are are rotten from beneath. And I think that is an important lesson to me of being deeply aware of the own inner dialogue because it dictates so much. Absolutely. My first book, Mastering Your Inner Mean Girl. It's it's that voice, you know, I call the inner critic your inner mean girl, because for me, she is really, really mean, right? And it's very easy for people to look at you or celebrities or any sort of athlete or anyone on social media and think that they don't have an inner critic. And I'm so glad that you brought this up because every human on this planet does. Yes, some people's is a lot louder than others. You know, some people's is on volume 10, and then some people's might be on volume one or two, and they they can turn it down really quickly. They are aware of it. They can turn it down quickly. But, you know, so many people, that that is not the case. So I love that you have shared that even you have an inner critic, and he was pretty loud, very loud. So I'm so glad that you shared that even you have an inner critic. We all do. And it's the stories that we tell ourselves on a daily basis that create our reality, that create our life. And, you know, I'm so aware when I start telling myself a really crappy story. I'm like, this story sucks. This is not the story that I want to be telling myself. And I'm able to quickly change it now. But For someone who is aware that maybe the stories they're telling themselves aren't the stories that they want to be telling themselves and their inner critic is really loud, what can they do? What are your first steps? How can we move through this? Because it's very easy to say, okay, just tell yourself a better story and just master your inner critic. But what's your process? Yeah, you know, I think that it's, um, it's, 
it's on some regard, you know, getting familiar with that, you know, I'd like what you call the inner mean girl there, right? You know, that that is that is a part of you, you know, that's inside of you, right? Um, and, you know, I think that we we do we do somewhat to try to numb that or drown that out. Um, but I actually find, you know, fully embracing that and understanding that not embracing that and taking that as truth, but going like, huh, okay, that's there. But I get to decide, you know, I get to choose. And, you know, I described that sort of meditation practice uh, of Vipassana, those 10 day silent meditations. For me, that's been a meaningful practice in, in learning and that observation of the own mind. I could give some more tangible tools that are easier, but I'll, you know, diverge for a second, which is I recently, just a couple of weeks ago, actually got back from a darkness retreat. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but I spent a week in complete darkness in a cave by myself alone. Obviously no reading, no writing, no lights. You know, it's so dark that you put your hand in front of your face one inch and you will never, you know, you'll never be able to see it. So um, wait, wait, back up. Can you, you, you're obviously eating and drinking, yeah, or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, um, you know, basically there's a little kind of tra- actually trap door in the cave um, where the guy who's facilitating this once per day puts a couple, you know, Tupperware with enough, you know, basically just basic food for the day. It's not a ton, but it's plenty to, you know, plenty to eat. And uh, there's a small toilet in there as well. So you've got your basic needs taken care of, you know, tiny little bed, cushion on the floor. Do you know what time it is or no? No idea what time it is. No watch, nothing. And you're in there for a week. So you sleep. And did I sleep for an hour? Did I sleep for 10 hours? What? (laughs) I Um, I have seen people do this. I've had friends on Instagram do this. And I'm just, I am so fascinated. Okay, keep going. (laughs) Tell me more. So what's interesting, you know, we're talking about this sort of inner critic, but we can take this in any direction you want. But when all of your senses are, you know, melted away, you know, obviously the visual sense, but of course, in the sense you're, you, you can hear, I suppose, but there's no sound, it's quiet, unless you're talking to yourself out loud, you know, it's completely quiet. And there's nothing to distract you, you know, no reading, no writing, no screens, no nothing, you're just, you know, that light goes off. Um, and you're alone in the darkness for, for a week. And one thing that was super interesting to me in this experience was, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily trying to control my thoughts. There's times when I think that's valuable. Like I said, in the you're telling yourself a bad story, kind of like switch that mindset, stand up, you know, kind of shout out loud, you're strong, you're capable, tell yourself that story. But I went into this darkness in sort of the curiosity of just observing for a little while. Um, and of course, trying to find some resolution later. But in the first few days I was in there, I just observed. You know, I kind of let what come come, let you let what went went, and you know, let what remain remain. Um, and it's interesting to observe your mind in that way to go like, wow, I'm thinking about this, or I'm telling myself this story, or I'm remembering this, or I'm arguing with a you know an old friend ten years ago, or I'm you know reminded of uh, you know whatever that is, different memories, childhood, family, love, etc. And realizing that our minds are kind of hyperactive and can be. Um, but what was also beautiful about this experience as I sat in the stillness uh, longer and longer, and by the end, it started to quiet down. My mind started to quiet down. I found these deep, peaceful, calm places inside of myself. And it wasn't by doing an active meditation practice or active breath work or anything like that. It was just through um, this observation uh, of self and being still inside of the darkness. So <clears throat> it, uh, it was a beautiful experience, but you know, bringing back back to what we were talking about is I think that sometimes we feel d- sort of disconnected from this inner inner dialogue, like, oh, who is this person, you know, yelling at me or something like that. Um, 
But I think it's important to connect to that. It's important to kind of dive into that, to feel that, and to acknowledge that. But also, again, as we said before, you do have the power to sort of shift that that mindset. So I think there's there's easy, simple tools like, you know, sort of shouting out loud, I guess, to yourself or, you know, kind of overpowering that mindset. Um, but also realizing you aren't your thoughts. And I think that that was really pronounced for me in the dark. Like, these are just thoughts, but I am not these thoughts. Like, my identity, who I am, is not wrapped up in this sort of either negative or positive, you know, sort of chatter that's going on constantly in there. But uh, but so often, I think we, we, we look in the mirror, we hear that inner dialogue, and we connect a little bit too deeply to it. I am not my thoughts. That's another one of my favorite mantras. I am not my thoughts. When I'm in those one moments, I am not my thoughts. I am not my thoughts. So yeah, that's, that's a powerful one. It's really powerful. I, I, wait, I just can't really get over the darkness retreat. Like, can you get out if you want to get out? You can. Yeah, that's us. But it's a funny thing that, right, you know, the door is unlocked to the cave, right? You can literally, you know, walk out of it. Uh, This place I went, it's an amazing place in Oregon, you know, just north of California border in the United States. It's called Sky Cave Retreats. This is an incredible guy named Scott who facilitates this. But it's simple. I mean, it, it's basically a, a dark cave, but it's not prison, right? You're not locked in there. But what's interesting about that is, you know, in some sense, you're like, oh, thank God I'm not locked in here, right? But on the other sense, there's this permission that you could grant yourself to just be done at any time. Like, this is hard. Let me just pull the ripcord and, you know, pop out of here. You know, and then some of my expeditions, you know, you know, you know, climbed, I've summited Mount Everest twice, right? You can't be three quarters of the way up the mountain and decide you don't want to, you can decide to want to climb it and turn around, but you still got to climb all the way back down the mountain. Like, there's not like an easy button to be like, you know what? It's cold. I'm afraid I could die up here. Let me like, you know, eject your seat like out of here. But you have that ability. You literally second to second, minimum. it would take me two seconds to walk back out into the light, open the door and walk up two steps and I'm out of the light of this cave, right? And although, of course, from a safety standpoint, that seems great. There's also, I don't know, like a, a challenge that's kind of thrown down. It's like, you are doing this for yourself. There's, there's nothing to be, you know, there's nothing external to be gained by this. You have made this decision or I have made this decision to be here and sit with this emotion, this feeling, this darkness, this challenge, this discomfort, et cetera. And so I actually thought that that, that part of the experience was, was profound of kind of this, this choosing. And it's like, it's a little bit what I talked about, you know, to reach those 10 moments as, as we talked about earlier you kind of have to choose to step out of that comfort zone. You have to choose to say, you know what? You know, I like the metaphor of you're sitting around, you're like, you know, I, and I want to remodel my kitchen, old appliances and sold tiles. I want to remodel my kitchen. And you have this vision of like what this new room in your house is going to look like. But what's the first thing you actually do when you remodel your kitchen? Well, you rip out all the tile, you rip out all the appliances, your stovetop doesn't work for a month. Like it kind of sucks. Like it actually gets worse before it gets better, right? And so in this sense, it's like, yeah, I could sort of stay in that comfortable complacency, but the darkness was a way to be like, this is going to be hard. This is going to be challenging. This is going to be frightening. I could make this stop at any time, but there's a belief in that discomfort, that challenge actually eliciting ultimately a positive response. And I finished this retreat about a month ago, and I can definitely safely say now, not only was the experience itself in the dark deeply, deeply profound, um, there's a clip that I posted on my Instagram at Colin O'Brady uh, a couple days ago, or a few weeks ago when I got out, and you know, I'm sobbing, I'm crying, I'm elated and coming out, not because I wanted it to be over, but because of what I found in the depths uh, of my soul and psyche inside of there. 
there. And then a month on, those those lessons continue to to play uh, on my mind. You know, there's been been other moments, you know, in the last few weeks where there's you no know, difficult thing pops up or I'm stressed about this or that, and I can go back and touch that place I found in the darkness. And I wouldn't be able to have that that growth, that perspective, had I not been willing to say, "There's this hard, kind of weird, scary thing, but I want to do it because I believe there's some benefit on the other side." And that's certainly been the case in this instance. Yeah, we can do these things like this darkness retreat and Vipassana and different sorts of retreats and breath work and all of these things. And we can take those lessons with us. How do we continue to hold on to them? You know, weeks, months, years, decades go by. We want to still be able to call on that wisdom that we had in that moment. So from everything that you've experienced, how do you do that? Yeah, you know, I think that I believe it was Ram Das. I might begin this wrong, and I'm going to paraphrase this quote. So forgive me if I don't get this perfectly right. But he said something along the lines of, you know, we can go to retreat. And in some sense, you know, that's the easy part. It's easy to have all of your distractions away, fully focused on some mindset practice or breathwork practice or whatever. But the true work happens, the true sort of measure of if this retreat was successful is how do you integrate this back into your daily life? You know, what does that integration, you know, component look like? And I'm hyper aware of that. I get so much from these big expeditions or world record projects or one of these retreats that I've mentioned. Um, but it's then what, how can I bring that wisdom back into my day-to-day life? And you know, I think the best way that I can describe sort of my practice is, you know, it's simple, but we think about wanting, you know, our, let's say our muscles to get stronger. You know, I want to be, you know, I want to be really strong, you know, my own jacked biceps for the summer. I want to eight pack abs, whatever, you know, silly, you know, physical goal it is. The first thing we know intuitively what to do. We go, well, you're probably going to start eating healthy and you're probably going to go to the gym a lot. You're going to go lift the bench press. You're going to do crunches, squats, like whatever, get your muscles stronger. And we, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or not. Like we just intuitively go there because we just understand that pretty well about physiology, right? But for whatever reason, I think all too often, we don't think of the mind in that same way. And I'm fond of saying, you know, the most important muscle I believe any of us have is the six inches between our ears. And the reason I say that word, the most important muscle, is because I want people to equate the mind to a muscle. And why that's important is because it's something that we can flex. It's something that we can develop. It's something we can evolve. It's something we can get stronger. But how do you get stronger? It's by flexing and developing that muscle, not once or twice or, you know, a bunch of times for a week at a retreat. It's by actually what's that daily practice. And for me, my daily practice might look different than your daily practice or anyone else's daily practice, but it's what's that mental tool, that mental reset, you know, that you can do. And that's, you know, can you spend 10 minutes a day meditating? Can you spend 20 minutes a day in in yoga class? Can you, you know, you know, there's a million different sort of modalities or methodologies just like there would be in a, in a gym. There's a bunch of different weights and exercises you can do, but it's actually dedicating the time to say, this is important. I want my mind and mentality to be stronger, so how can I flex and develop this every single day? And so, you know, obviously, I really encourage that, that daily practice. I love that retreat sense because I can go full in on it, but how can I then zoom out of that back into my day-to-day life, my day-to-day responsibilities, and still, you know, kind of be continually day-to-day, you know, building that consistency and flexing that muscle. Absolutely. For me, I I meditate each morning and yes, that meditation is beautiful and blissful and I and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, but how can I take that out into my day with my daughter and 
bring that level of presence and mindfulness and consciousness into everything I do. Because there's no point in me meditating and then getting up and shouting and being stressed. You know, it's like, how can I take that into my everyday life? And in every moment, with every conversation, every interaction that I have. So that is definitely, you know, something that I'm aware of and want to cultivate and be reminded of every day. Because otherwise, like you said, we can go to these retreats, but if we're not integrating it and embodying it in our everyday life, then what's the point? Exactly. I'd love to hear, what are you working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Mm, That's a good question. Um, Well, um, I'm expecting my first child right now. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) So... Uh, my wife is due in June, so we're about uh, sort of end of the second trimester, beginning of the third trimester, kind of a few months out um, from from that journey. And although I've uh, been on a lot of wild adventures, including with my wife, my wife and I summited Mount Everest together a couple years ago. So we've really truly been on an adventure of life together. Um, from what I'm told, this is the the greatest adventure of them all, and so you know we're really excited about that. And I think that, you know, what am I working on right now as well as what I can improve on the question? You know, it's, it, it, it's simple, I suppose, but it's how can I assimilate, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about into, you know, my life, into creating new life, into family in that capacity. And really, you know, what I, why I love this topic of mindset, right? And this topic of overcoming limiting beliefs and, you know, overcoming obstacles, et cetera. Why I love these topics and it's what, you know, both of my books are about and it's what, you know, I, you know, public speak about what I'm passionate about talking about is because I think that they touch all corners of our lives, right? You know, it's like, you know, I, I love talking to, you know, hyper successful, high net worth entrepreneurs in the same way I like talking to athletes, in the same way I like talking to, you know, people who are starting a family, the same people who are, you know, setting a, you know, personal goal about their health, et cetera. Like, you know, the, these, these, what, what you're doing externally with it is almost doesn't really, I mean, it matters, but it's, it's the same. It all starts with this mindset, right? It starts with this presence, this capacity, this inner strength. Um, and then we can apply that to any one of these mediums that we would ever deeply care about. And so for me, it's a, it's an interesting exercise to, it's not to say I, I will definitely have many other, you know, external adventures and as a professional athlete, I'll continue to push my body and probably set, hopefully set some more world records and things of that nature. But it's also now can I take all of that wisdom that I've learned in the mountains, pushing my body, pushing my building my businesses, et cetera, and now apply this to, um, you know, this moment of presence of bringing new life into this world. Mm, so beautiful. It is the best experience ever. It's so, it is just the best. Your relationship deepens, you know, it's just so amazing. And you already sound like you have such a deep, beautiful partnership with your wife, which is so beautiful. You know, she's been your cheerleader, you've experienced so much together. And I truly believe it's so important that we have supportive people around us. For someone listening who, you know, might realize, okay, well, most of the people in my life aren't supportive. They, they don't support my dreams. They're not my cheerleader. What can they do? Where can they find those people? How do we create that cheer squad? around us so that we can do and be the best version of ourselves. Yeah, you know, 
I definitely believe we're the net product of the five or 10 people we spend the most time around, right? And, you know, to very oversimplify relationships out in the world, you know, this, to me, there's kind of two, two really big and obvious buckets. And of course, there's some, you know, nuances within that. But there's our family, which, you know, generally we don't get to choose. And so there's that. And, you know, we, we, I think we hopefully try to love our families and all their quirks and idiosyncrasies. And, you know, just, just like anything, everyone has their, their great things and moments with their family, et cetera. So there's that. But then there's the rest of the people you meet in your life, friends, romantic partners, business colleagues, et cetera, where you do really kind of get to choose. You know, you really do get to choose uh, in some regard. And I know that it sometimes maybe doesn't feel like that, but if you really think about it, you are fairly in control of the people that you get to surround yourself with. And so I, you know, I encourage, you know, I actually write a, a bit of a chapter about this in my recent book, The 12-Hour Walk, about how do you make sure the people around you are the right people? And, you know, not just one directionally too, you know, who's the people that are uplifting you, but are, you know, are you paying that the other direction? Because the best relationships are when you, you know, you're, you're someone's being your cheerleader, but you're equally as stoked to be their cheerleader, right? Um, and I think that's huge. And if you kind of do an audit on that, I, you know, encourage people to literally sit down with a paper and pen and be like, you know, who are the 10 people that I spend the most time with, right? And that can be, you know, in digital spaces, somebody you talk to on the phone regularly, right? Can still, that can still count, but who's, who's kind of like impacting your, you know, psyche, your, your energy, your space, et cetera. And if you do that audit and you go, God, more than half of these people or more than them, like really aren't bought into my values or encouraging me. I think we probably, many of us, I'm sure have this experience and, you know, whether you live in the place you grew up or not, you go back to your hometown and you catch up with an old friend and you're excited. Oh, I'm doing this with my life. Or, you know, maybe for you, I'm starting this podcast, I said a baby, whatever. And there's maybe someone who's just like, not that enthusiastic to receive that news. You're kind of like, it's a deflating feeling, right? And then you get, you actually get to choose. I mean, it's not like I'm saying, oh, delete this person's phone number and, you know, yell at them or something like that. But you get to choose, like, how much energy do you want to continue to invest in their, in those relationships? And I think it's part of maturing a little bit of figuring that out. But those decisions might feel hard in the moment. But the opposite is true. When you find yourself surrounded by community, feeling that level of belonging, that feeling of trust, that feeling of uplift, that makes all of the difference. And I'm constantly sort of aware of that because the energy around us, you know, I, I, I write in my book, I say, uh, surround yourself with four millionaires, you're likely to be the fifth. And that cuts the other way, you know, surround yourself with four criminals, you'll, you'll likely be the fifth, you know, it's like you really are a product of uh, kind of who you surround yourself with. So choose wisely. It's an important decision. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. Like you said, it's not like you have to break up with them. It's not like you have to delete their phone number. It's just about choosing where you put your energy. And, you know, everyone's doing the best that they can and have love and compassion and kindness and respect. Even if you choose, okay, well, maybe I don't want to spend too much of my time and energy in that relationship. You don't have to be rude. This isn't judgmental. You can still be respectful and very kind. And then you just, you know, choose to go hang out with that person. I think that's a really important piece to also mention. And I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's a, it, one additional thought to that is that it's not as if if somebody's going through a hard time in their life, like, you know, we're all going to go through these different seasons. So it's not like the continuity of a long-term friendship and now someone's going through a hard time. And you're like, oh, they're kind of a drag to be around because they're going through a transition in their relationship with their career. Like that's also where you step up and you're a good friend. It's not like only be around people who are happy in the best time of their life or something like that. That's not the point. But there's a difference between that 
and someone who just kind of has a set point or a North Star that is different than yours or different values or is sort of more consistently um, an energetic drain. And that's where I think that, you know, the sort of with kindness, like you said, is might be a time to reevaluate where if you're putting your energy into that relationship. Yeah. And practice what I call crystal clear communication. You know, I've got in my second book, Open Wide, I talk about crystal clear communication and just saying, hey, I'm going through something right now. I'm going through a hard time right now, expressing this to the closest people in your life. I'm going through a separation or I'm going through a health thing or I'm changing careers or, you know, someone in my family's just passed away. Expressing that to them and then saying, so I might not be my best self right now. I just want you to know. So if I act out of character or if I don't respond, you know, for a couple of days, like I just want you to know it's nothing personal. I'm just going through stuff. I do that to my friends. Um, and my friends do that to me, not all of them, but some of them do. And it's really, really beautiful because it allows you to not take things personally. If, if someone doesn't, you know, respond for a week or so, you go, ah, oh, you know, they're going through something right now. It's not personal. So practice crystal clear communication with, with, with everyone, not just the closest people to you, but with everyone. Absolutely. Okay. Let's pretend now that you have a magic wand. And you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Now, besides your books, they definitely Mm. should be in the curriculum. What is one other book that you would choose? Um, The Alchemist. Yes. Paulo Coelho. That was a really impactful book for me uh, as a young person. It's a book that I've read at many different phases of life, and it continues to share wisdom. So that, that would probably be my pick. It's about the adventure into our inner soul and the adventure of life and also the realization that it's, it's all within. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that book. I'll link to it in the show notes as well as your incredible books. But yeah, that is definitely, if you guys have not read The Alchemist, go and read it. It is amazing. Okay. Tell us about your morning routine. I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day, your rituals, your routines. Do you meditate? When do you eat? When do you work out? Talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life. Yeah, I think that, you know, I um I think the morning is as we as I'm sure you've talked about plenty, uh, you know, is a time of the day that we can really control more than anything else. But for me, one of my morning practices is to try to, you know, not reach for my phone first thing, not have that be the very first thing that I kind of um put. So kind of, you know, phone or the, the whatever that is, an hour or so in the morning to kind of let my body and brain kind of turn on without that. Um, but yeah, it's getting up. Um, not sponsored. This is not a shout out. It's a sponsorship, but I, I drink AG1 every single morning. Uh, Athletic Greens is just a good way to get some hydration and some nutrition into my body, you know, kind of first thing. Um, so I get up, have that, uh, let my dog outside, go for a little walk with my dog. And then, you know, recently, uh, I guess it's a little bit unstructured, but hanging out with my wife with a pregnant belly, uh, and, you know, just, just talking to her and starting the day slow. Um, you know, there's been other times in my life where that's been, you know, a little more, I guess, rigid and routine, you know, whether that's a meditation practice, which is still important, important part of my day, um, or as an athlete, of course, getting up and getting a workout in, et cetera. Um, but I think sort of my, if I look at different ways the mornings have unfolded for me, um, you know, over the years, I think one of the core components for me that's been, you know, beautiful uh, and important is to, um, it's not to say, I don't know, slow might be the wrong word, um, but intentionally, 
you know, whether that's a journaling practice, whether that's meditation, whether that's a workout, but just not, and at least for me, my phone is the thing that can kind of not throw me off isn't the right word, but just kind of like you pick up the phone, you're like, okay, I got to do this thing. I got to do this thing, get pulled into this energetically, whatever. And it's kind of taking back control of that start to the day to make sure there's some sort of intention behind what you're doing, whether that's, you know, meditation, you know, walking my dog, hanging off my wife, just something that's just kind of, you know, quality time well spent to kind of kick off the day um, has been a great way for me to, um, you know, kind of be my best as the day gets to start to unfold. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. What is one thing that you have changed your mind about? What is one thing I've changed my mind about? Hmm. I like this. This is a good good interview. I like these questions. Um, Thought-provoking. What have I changed my mind about? You know, I, I have been fortunate to visit some incredible places around the world. I think I've been to, you know, 80 or 90 different countries. I've been on, you know, all seven continents multiple times and grateful for all those experiences. Wouldn't really trade them for anything. But one thing I think as a younger person, I thought was the answer was out there, I suppose. I could be here, I could see this, I could experience that. And I I love these experiences. I'm not going to stop, quote unquote, chasing those experiences anytime soon. But one thing that I think I've changed my mind about that I definitely firmly believe is no matter where you go, there you are. No matter where you go, there you are. And although the experiences of that are amazing, what I realize is, you know, I think that it's a really product of A, who you are and kind of also who you're with. The setting might not be amazing, but if I'm surrounded by my favorite people, I'm happy and content, whereas I could be in the most amazing place ever. But if my internal dialogue is not in a great place, it doesn't matter, you know, where I am. You know, one that that lesson, I think, kind of came to me in a pretty important moment um, in in Australia, of all places, actually, where this this lesson occurred to me, which was... uh, 10 or so years ago, I was racing triathlon professionally after that burn accident. I ended up racing triathlon professionally around the world for many years. And I was living in Australia because we would you know, live in Australia during the Northern Hemisphere winter um, and vice versa. I'm uh, training with a kind of elite group of athletes, including this woman who at the time had won world championship at every dif- different distance in triathlon. So Ironman world champion and Olympic distance world champion, just like one of the all-time you know, greats in the sport. And I said to her, I said, you know, tell me, you know, which one of these has been your, your favorite, uh, success, your, your favorite race that you ever did. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, that's an easy answer. She goes, it was the time I came second place at the Commonwealth games. And I was confused. I said, second place. What do you mean? You've won so much, you know, you're a legend for being just, you know, world champion winner. I, I don't understand. Why would you choose when you came second? And she goes, oh, well, as you know, you know, I grew up in a small town and my family lives in the UK and they didn't have enough money to travel around the world to see me race at these world championship races. But the Commonwealth Games happened to be near my hometown. And so they were able to drive there. And she looks at me and she goes, you know what the most lonely feeling in the world is? She goes, it's to stand on top of a world championship podium and look out into the crowd and have no one there that you love or that you care about. And it was a, you know, poignant moment for me in my life because I had just basically left home and it was in a tumultuous place, you know, with my now wife. This is, you know, 10 plus years ago. Cause I was like, I'm going to go chase my dream. I don't care if I'm on the other side of the world and I'm doing this and I'm going for it and whatever. And it was an interesting kind of inflection point of, oh, right. Like 
even though this dream is important to me, this dream without the sort of larger tapestry of who I'm with, et cetera. And so when I, you know, when I think now about, you know, as that applies to goal setting, obviously I'm very goal oriented, you know, you, you don't do the things I've done without being kind of hyper-focused on that. But what I changed my mind about was I thought if you put your blinders on and put your head down and work as hard as you can and you achieve the thing, that will, that will, the sacrifice will be worth it. Um, and certainly certain sacrifices, you know, come with, you know, setting and achieving big goals. But in this instance, it's like if the sacrifice is sort of the sanctity of the relationships or the people you care about or those experiences, you're going to get to the end of that road. You know, there's so many examples of the person who sells their company for a gajillion dollars and they're sitting there in their big house alone and going like, what did I waste my life on? You know, and I've, I've spent time with people above that archetype and that's a heavy weight to bear. And so I think that was an important lesson for me and certainly something that I've shifted my mindset about. And as I have, as we've you know, shared some stories here, you know, doing it together as actually what has led to this success or even higher, greater success than I could have ever done on my own. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. My husband and I always say that. We always say better together. And yeah, it, it's so true because there's no point in getting to these big achievements if you have no one to share it with, Absolutely. you know? And for me, the most important thing is the peace within my four walls, the happiness within my four walls, the love, the joy that happens in my four walls. Yes, I love doing my work. I love my podcast. I love the books that I get to write, speaking on stages, creating programs. I love all of these things. But if there is not harmony and peace and love and joy within my four walls, like I am missing the point. I am completely missing the point. So that always for me is is the number one. And I also find for me, if there's not harmony within my home, I can't show up as my best self to those other things because that's on my mind. So that is why for me, cultivating a beautiful, loving, safe, peaceful, beautiful home is is top of my priority list. For sure. All right, Colin, I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Um, I think the, the way that you eat really dictates a lot. So, um, you know, eating healthy, whatever that means to you, uh, I think has an outsized impact on your overall health, mental health, well-being, longevity, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your food health philosophy? Um, I, uh, you know, my dad's an organic farmer, actually, and my parents were in the natural foods health industry for a long time. So I grew up around sort of organic, sustainable, you know, kind of healthy, healthy foods. You know, I think that there's, I actually don't think that there's one size fits all. Uh, you know, I think that there's something to be said for a plant-based diet for a number of people. And I think that there's all sorts of people that that doesn't work for. And I think, you know, and, and vice versa. And so I'm not, I'm not one to say this is what works for every single person. But I do think um, when you find out what works for you and sticking to that um, really makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Okay, next one. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. 
you know, I, I, I write, I write about this, uh, whole chapter on this in, in the 12 hour walk and encourage people to, to check out that book. Um, we didn't too much talk about it on here, but it's really a call to action. It's something you can do in one day, um, that will absolutely fundamentally shift your life. It's not just words on the page, but it's a call to action and a global movement. I've got tens of thousands of people, 40 different countries have already participated in this 12 hour walk and it's a snowball of a movement. So check out the book or 12 hourwalk.com, um, to learn more about that. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, there, there's many steps, of course, but it is a mindset. It's what we're talking about before, right? It, it is, you know, this difference between the scarcity mindset and abundance mindset dictates so, so, so much um, of, uh, of, of, of where we go. And that's a belief in abundance, right? It's a belief that everyone can win, that there's enough for everyone. And so I think cultivating that mindset is hugely important. So to cultivate that that wealth and abundance. And I also think to be clear on what you want and why you want it. You know, I think to say, to have a goal that says, let's, you know, take money, for example, you know, I want to have as much money as I can is really unspecific. And it's challenging to, you know, I don't think the universe conspires because it's not really kind of tangible enough. But if you say, it doesn't matter what the number is, I want a million dollars so that I can send my kid to college and, you know, live in the house I want to live in or et cetera, you know, it starts to get more specific and then it starts to become more real and you can work backwards from that number. And it doesn't matter what the number is. It could be 1 million, 10 million, 100 million, 100,000. It doesn't matter. But being specific and having a why and the why not being so attached to just because I want to. I want this because X, Y, and Z, I think really does start to cultivate a lot more abundance uh, in our life and shift away from that scarcity mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last one of the rapid fire. What is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Mm. You, know, you touched on it briefly earlier um, when you were talking about your friends and the the you know the transparency and those crystal clear communication. But I think vulnerability. Um, you know, I mm. think being vulnerable uh, actually in the end invites more love. You know, we're we're a, we can be afraid to be vulnerable because we think it's going to elicit you know othering or fear or shame, etc. Um, but more often than not, and there's obviously been a lot of science and research on this, but just anecdotal, if you really think about it, when you open yourself up, when you're vulnerable, when you sit across from a friend, a family member, and you tell them what's really going on in your life, what that's usually met with is somebody reciprocating love, compassion, empathy, etc. And then oftentimes when you lead with vulnerability, it invites the person sitting across from you to be vulnerable. And that's, I think, where that depth of love can really be cultivated. Mm, absolutely. So beautiful. And vulnerability makes us lean in. It connects us. It's like, it's that glue that really binds a relationship and connects you. Otherwise, you're just paddling in the, the surface level. You know, you're not going deep. You're just in the shallow end of the pool. And, you know, I want deep relationships. So vulnerability and crystal clear communication allow that to happen, allow us to drop deeper. So I love that you shared that. Now, this has been so amazing. I want to encourage everyone to check out your books. We will link to them in the show notes. They are incredible. Check out your TED Talk. That is amazing. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about? No, it's been, you know, it's been a great conversation. And, you know, like I said before, I'm really passionate about talking about limiting beliefs. And, you know, I mentioned before, you know, the 12-hour walk is something I'm really passionate about right now. 
you know, mostly because the, the book is written from a way that's, you know, light you up around stories, around adventure, you know, anecdotes from my life, et cetera. So it's a, you know, a page turner in that sense, but it's universal in its themes, which is we all have these limiting beliefs in our mind. You know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. You know, I don't know what to do. I'm not, and I'm not strong enough, et cetera. We, we have some, you know, semblance of those limiting beliefs. And I do believe in the 12 hour walk and the call to action of actually inviting people on this exercise you know, is a game changer. Um, and it really, um, you know, in a simple way, something that's accessible and it's free and it's right out your front door, you know, not enough time to talk too deep on it, but it really is special in that way of moving people from this idea of a limited, you know, limiting beliefs towards this, uh, you know, this be possible mindset, this possible mindset of living a life without, um, you know, limitations. And so, you know, I encourage people to, to check that out. Um, and I, I really, you know, admire and love what, what your show is all about and your passion for, you know, these topics of overcoming limiting beliefs, you know, having that growth mindset and really kind of growing to become our best and better selves, you know, every single day. So just grateful to be on the show here with you. And thanks for taking the time. Oh, this has been amazing. I could talk to you for so long and I'm so excited that you guys are about to have a baby. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm just obsessed with all things babies. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm here. If you need to chat about anything, I'm here for you guys. Might need a little advice, you know. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> no, you will be fine. It's all, it just comes naturally. It's so beautiful. So thank you for being on the show and for sharing and for all of your work that you're doing for your books, everything that you're doing, you're helping and you're supporting and you're serving so many people. And I'm so grateful that we've been able to connect. And I want to ask you, how can I and the listeners give back and serve you today? no specific way just uh come say hi on instagram you know if you feel called towards a 12-hour walk like i said it's completely free i think it's amazing when people participate and it's amazing how many people we've had in so many different corners of the world you know participating in this activity and, and sharing uh you know their stories of growth and breakthroughs their communities you know i think that we we all have stories inside of us uh, you know you and i are sitting here in front of microphones or whether you're sitting around a dinner table with your friends your families your colleagues you know share uh, and listen because i believe, you know, when we're, you know, 1% better version of ourselves that has a ripple effect throughout our entire communities. And then there's that ripple effect of everyone being on that, you know, slightly more, you know, happy, more fulfilled um, track. So be kind to yourself, be kind to the people in your life. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, grateful for this time. Oh, thank you so much. You're a beautiful, beautiful human. I'm wishing you all the best on this exciting adventure that you're about to go on with your baby and all of the ones to come as well. Thank you for being here and thank you for sharing with us. My pleasure. I'm curious, guys, has this conversation inspired you to cross Antarctica or do a triathlon or a marathon or a darkness retreat or Vipassana? I'm inspired. I don't know. The, I don't know. Would I do the darkness retreat? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I would definitely do Vipassana, but don't know if I could spend 10 days away from Bambi. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know about the darkness retreat. Come and let me know on Instagram if you would do it. If you were like, hell yes, I would do this or mm, not sure. I would love to hear. And I really hope you got a lot out of this conversation. Check out his TED Talk. Check out his books. They're incredible. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the absolute world to me because it helps other people find the show. 
And it also means that all of my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you never have to go searching for a new episode. Now come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode and if you are keen to do a darkness retreat or Vipassana. I'd love to hear. Now, before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. I truly mean that from the bottom of my heart. It means the absolute world to me that you are here listening and that you want to be the best, the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself. And you showed up today for you. You rock. Give yourself a high five right now. Now, if there's someone else in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, I know so many people personally, and I will be sending it to them. You can take a screenshot of the episode. You can share it on your social media. You can email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.